For scripture reading, I'd like you to look up Luke chapter 15. I added this later in the week. So Luke 15, and uh, we're going to read the parable of the lost son, page 1204 in your Bible. Luke 15, verse 11, and after that we're going to read our text, which is Psalm 126. Here's a parable of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 15, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods and that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a great, a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother's come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's our reading from Luke 15. Let's turn to Psalm 126. Part of our summertime sermon series on the Psalms of Ascents. You see that heading under Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. 
Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. May the Lord add his blessing to the word we've read. After the sermon, we're going to sing Psalm 40 from the Book of Praise. Psalm 40, after the sermon. Congregation loved by Jesus Christ our Lord. Back in 2010, if you had watched hockey, the Philadelphia Flyers were in the playoffs. The Flyers were facing elimination. They had gone down three times in the best of seven. And somehow they managed to get three wins in a row. They made it into game seven. Then in that very game seven, they were again down 3-0, but scratched and clawed their way back up to a 4-3 win. You call that a comeback. That's a comeback. When you're at such a disadvantage, you've got no chance And you come out from behind and you win. This is Psalm 126. And we're not coming across something so minor, something so forgettable that who remembers 2010 anyway. We're looking at God's history of these comebacks. The Lord is the God of comebacks. From the very beginning of your Bible to the very end. The very beginning, Genesis 3.15, God's seed versus the seed of the serpent. Remember, the seed of the serpent was going to do some significant damage. He would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. When God's people, when would they ever recover from Satan's attack? Well, you know, the God of all comebacks. That's what the Bible's about. Broken paradise at the beginning, paradise restored at the end, and the serpent is destroyed at the end, and paradise restored. First, we need to look at verse 1 as we turn to Psalm 126. If you have your Bible open, We begin at verse 1 of Psalm 126, and this might start a little slowly because it's a bit of a grammar lesson. It's going to be a little tough because you look at your Bible, and your Bible might show no sign of trouble here, but if you saw the Hebrew, it would say something like this, literally, when the Lord turned a turning. It's a one-off, the only time you find this expression in the Bible and with, with, if you just tweak or modify one letter in the Hebrew alphabet, you could make sense of this and you would have something like, when the Lord returned his captives. Think of the exile. God had punished his people. He had taken them away from his promised land. And for 70 years they suffered in the land of Babylon or some foreign country. And you... You can make sense of this. You think of the captivity. That is like one of the best examples of joy and thankfulness and praise to God. He's brought us back. 
There's singing. There's laughter. And I want you to think of that. But it turns out, reading Hebrew, we're still learning how to read Hebrew because you keep uncovering scrolls and tablets written in the ancient country. Back in 1930, there was a discovery. We now know more than one occasion of this expression, when the Lord turned a turning. And it turns out to be something of an idiom. You have this often in the scriptures. God didn't invent a brand new language to communicate to his people. He used normal language, like normal Hebrew. So you have idioms like raining cats and dogs. They have that in Hebrew too. When the Lord turned a turning is a way of saying when the Lord made a comeback. When he restored their fortunes. They were so far behind. And somehow the Lord brought victory. And I bring this up so that you don't latch on to only one example. This psalm is trying to get you to think of many occasions. The, exa- the exile return, the captives coming back, that's one example. But this is the history of the kingdom of God. If you're ever down and out as God's people, if you're ever facing the impossible and it's hopeless, this is your God who takes his people and brings them back. He turns them around. He gives them life again. And you can page through your Bible and find one example after the other of a little David taking on a Goliath. The last couple of weeks, we were going through the sermon series on the Psalms of Ascents, Psalms 120 to 134. And you need to see how this focuses on the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. This is focusing on Zion, which is one of the hills, Mount Zion, where Jerusalem, the city, is on top, where the temple is in that city. And if you have something of last week ringing in your mind, Psalm 125, you remember how those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. If you have Psalm 125 in the background, you now have 126, which is the comeback song. Apparently that Zion that's been immovable got moved. Somewhere between Psalm 125 and 126, you're thinking... That Zion that abides forever was not abiding. Think about it. When was Zion going through a losing streak? When did God abandon Zion or Jerusalem or his temple? Often. If you look in your scriptures, you'll find it happened more often very beginning of Mount Zion, there's David. And you could think of David in his life because of unfaithfulness. He, uh, he lost a lot of his kingdom. His son Absalom took over Jerusalem. And you remember in 2 Samuel 15, actually, it's not a very commonly well-known story, but David fleeing from Jerusalem. He had to run from Zion. After King David, Jerusalem is divided. Think of Jehoash, king of Israel. Ten tribes in the north. They come down against and they fight against Jerusalem. They come and besiege Mount Zion. Second Kings 14, you'll find that. And he ripped down 600 feet 
from the walls of Jerusalem, and he gutted the place. You do some more reading on this, you find, when was Zion actually safe? The Assyrians, they surrounded it, trapped them inside, made them go hungry. Then it was the Babylonians, they came, destroyed the place. That's the captivity that your Bible will mention. Hauling off everyone into exile. The captivity. Here's the point. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... When he brought us back into his safe place, into his presence, into his glory, into his grace and his forgiveness. Wow, we were excited because this came from nowhere. Who saw this coming? Against all odds, we made it back to Zion. And so verse 1, you hear this. Whenever Zion had a comeback, we were like those who dream. You know, you go through some awesome experience, you're like, maybe I should pinch myself. Am I dreaming? We were like those who dream. Pinch me. That's verse 1. Absolute amazement. And to capture this in one word, I want you to think of laughter. Our first point is laughter. Because verse 2 says, you see verse 2? Then when the Lord restored us with another comeback, really it's saying, our mouth was filled with laughter. And there's different kinds of humor. But what's basic to laughter? What makes you burst out? It's usually the unexpected. You didn't see it coming. That's why we call it a punchline. Laughter, it's hardwired to your guts. Like when you hear a joke, it comes out almost like an explosion. Some people have a hilarious laugh. You can't help it. I think of those times in a very solemn setting, a time of visitation, let's say at a funeral. Families and friends, they're in grief. And they begin sharing memories of the person that they loved, the one they lost. And then of all things, at that time, in, in a funeral home or in, in a church building, it is not unusual for me to hear a burst of laughter. And instantly there's nervousness. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Because that's what laughter is. It's an explosion of joy. And the point here is Psalm 126. In Zion, whenever Zion has a comeback, you laugh. And God's children, you've you got to know this laughter. It comes as a surprise to you. It's unbridled joy that God has taken you from darkness into light. From death to life. You were lost and you were found. He's restored your fortunes. Do you ever laugh? Apostle Paul, you can hear it in his voice. If you read 1 Timothy 1, he's describing his comeback. I received mercy, Paul says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And then he, he bursts out in praise to, to the King of ages, Immortal, invisible, and only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You hear the surprise in his voice. Of all people, God must have a sense of humor because of all people, 
He brought me life. Do you know how to laugh with him? Because this psalm is about Zion having a comeback. It's not about Zion. It's not about you as God's people doing a little bit better than you used to be doing. You know, you were a pretty good person. You were a pretty good church. We're scoring quite well on our own. Now with a little bit of God's help, we can, we can manage... You're not laughing. No one's laughing. Because you're thinking, what's the big deal? Just smarten up like me. Just apply yourself a little more like me. And so you hear in the uh, parable that the Lord Jesus had for the prodigal son, you hear the elder son. He has no sense of humor. He looks at all the excitement, the, the feasting, the singing, the dancing, and the laughing. And what's the big deal? How come all of this for my brother? I've been good all my life. And so I warn you, brothers and sisters, if you're not laughing, maybe it's because you don't get what's going on with Mount Zion. Do you know Zion's comeback? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you know you deserved eternal death. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you knew where you started under God's wrath, as a child of wrath, and then you hear your Heavenly Father, forgive your sins. You believe in Jesus Christ, you know He says to you, I love you. I forgive you. You're right with me. And you not laugh. God has restored the fortunes of Zion. The point is, God's people are like those who dream. It seems like a fantasy. We are those who laugh. We are those who sing. And let me point you to the ultimate comeback of Zion. I I can't help but draw your attention to the ultimate comeback of Mount Zion. Think of the darkest valley of the shadow of death. Think of Jesus of Nazareth going through that valley of the shadow of death. The king of the Jews, Jesus is, entering that valley, going to the cross of crucifixion to be nailed there. And you see all the kingdom hope, all the messianic hope. Here is the king of the Jews who would deliver Israel, deliver God's people, and we see him absolutely crushed. Mount Zion, destroyed. The hope of all God's people, destroyed. And then, after darkness, light. It is finished. After darkness, light. That's the motto of the Great Reformation. Those who go to the Scriptures find this all over the place. Revival. This is Zion's comeback. This is why you sing. This is why you laugh. This is why others actually notice that you're joyful. It's not just a private, personal feeling in your heart. It it explodes from you. It should be coming out of us. Zion's comeback is so unexpected, so unusual, that others are like, 
What's going on with them? The world notices it. The world has to notice the laughter and singing is not from some comedy show. Not some light-hearted entertainment. Some distracting form of pleasure. That's what the world finds for its humor. Here's verse 2. It says, Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The world, and by this, the nations in the Bible, the unbelievers, they say this in verse 2. Wow, they have something we don't have. There is no way to explain this comeback that Zion just had, that they're going through. Obviously, the Lord has done great things for them. So you think about us as church here in Owen Sound. So much of what we do can be explained in human terms by faithful effort, hard work, businesses, corporations, institutions. You can do this. But to restore us from lifeless, from hopeless, exhausted, infighting, disagreeable people into people who rejoice, who sing, who laugh, who get along and who who reach outside their own group. There's only one answer. The Lord has done great things for them. That's verse 3 now. The Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. He's raised us in Christ to a new life. We're a new creation by the Holy Spirit. We're the bride of Christ. The Lord has done great things for us. So the first point, right? Laugh. That's the result of surprise. You did not see this coming. The Lord has brought back Zion's comeback. We were down a million to zero and Satan was winning. He had the upper hand. Our sin nature had the upper hand. and We had no chance. But now we are Zion who laughs. Surely the Lord has done this. That's our first point. Secondly, prayer. Verse 4 says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord. And uh, in updated language, you'd say, Bring another comeback, O Lord. Do it again, O Lord. Work another comeback. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, as in the streams of the south. If you had traveled to Israel, go to the southern part of Israel. There's wilderness, and it's called the Negev, which is just a fancy word for south. Negev. It's dry there. And if you visit there, you will most likely find a groove in the ground you would suspect could have been a creek at one time. Maybe a river. And they call these wadi. W-A-D-I. And you can stand in one, you look at it, and it's a groove in the ground, and there's no water, no life, no animals, no plants. And we're at this part of Psalm 126, verse 4, and you, you now have to admit with all God's people that right now we could really use another comeback. A revival. Maybe you personally are standing in a dried out creek bed as church, Think of ways that we are standing in a creek bed. And this is the prayer that God gives us. 
Another time, Zion needs a comeback. We're going through drought. Serious unfruitfulness. And we say, because the Lord puts these words, sing it, He said. Restore us again, O Lord. Work another comeback in our lives. This is dry ground we're on. And we're waiting for you. We're so helpless, fruitless, hopeless. And we say, Lord, this is your thing. You do this all the time. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like those streams in the south. The point is, pray. Pray for revival. Pray for things that we used to do well, like read our Bibles, like study God's Word, do devotions together as family. And pray for things that we have always struggled doing well, like getting along with different opinions, like doing outreach, evangelism. Pray for revival. Each one of us sees some kind of groove where there used to be water and all we have is drought and we see sin creeping in. Casual worship. And the Lord says, where's your laughter? Pray. Pray for that comeback. Pray for that resurgence. Pray for that new joy. And so we pray for fresh reasons in our day to sing and to laugh. Habakkuk 3 verse 2. In our day, in our time, make them known. Do it again, Lord. And so the Lord is saying, pray for my kingdom to come. That's really what verse 4 is about. Yes, my kingdom is already here. But it's not yet here fully. Pray for my kingdom to come. Are you praying for a comeback? Because Psalm 126 leads you in this direction. Give Zion another comeback, O Lord. We're standing in the dry creek bed and we're praying. Are you expecting fulfillment? Because maybe you should move out of the way. Some of you know this in mountain country. You've come across a sign that says flash flood area. I've seen them in Colorado. Flash flood area. Because if you're hiking for buy-in in these areas, you have to know what's going on with the weather around you. And you have to expect that some dark cloud, some storm miles away in the mountains will suddenly do something to the road you're on or the trail that you're on. Because if you're in a groove... There is water coming. And it's going to wipe out everything on its way. That is called a flash flood. And if you're in dark times, and if you're praying to the Lord who loves to answer this prayer, and you're standing in one of the streams of the south, you should see the sign up that says, Flash Fulfillment Area. Because this is God's answer zone. You're standing in the path of His comebacks. And the psalm is saying, pray it. This is where we will laugh again. This is where we're going to pinch ourselves to see if we're dreaming. This is God's answer zone. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the south. That's our prayer. Our second point. Verse 4. 
a prayer going up to God. Do it again, Lord. And thirdly, verses 5 and 6, is it worship. It'll take a bit before we get there why we call it worship. But you look at these two verses now. If you have it in front of you, Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is a picture of, for a farmer. And if you're farming, you might get this. Because you know about the rising input costs of farming. But for most of us, this picture needs some explanation. Say you were a farmer back in Israel in the day. And you had a decent harvest last year. You think about your barns. You filled your barns with grain. And as the year is going on, you take out a bucket of grain every day, you take it to the mill, you grind that grain, and there's your wheat, there's your bread, there's your daily bread. And so the pile of grain in your barn is shrinking. And a half a year goes by, and you have to plant some wheat. Where do you get your seed from? The same pile of grain, right? Now, I hope you catch this, that when you have very little grain left, you're thinking, either that's my food or that's my seed. Do I use my food and throw it away? Because that's what a farmer does. Those who sow in tears, they shall reap in joy, that's what it's saying, and, and this is the picture. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. This is the hardest time of year when you're planting. It's the hardest test of faith. You're literally going to throw away good food. And you picture the farmer back then. He reaches into his pouch and he throws away good food. That's how they seeded the soil back then. Reach in a handful and toss it. And your family is going to have less food. Because you're sowing the seed. This is sorrow. These are tears because you throw away what is most precious to you. Your very life, your last bit of hope. And I want you to see that this is now the climax of Psalm 126. The climax of faith. That although now I'm at the bottom of a dry creek, right, verse 4, I'm at the bottom of my pantry, no more food, and I could really use a comeback right now. I could really use a good laugh. How about some singing, Lord? Psalm 126 says, Those who've sown in tears shall reap in joy. And I'm calling this God's word about worship. Our third point. Because given everything you know about God, everything you know about His power, everything about His love, everything about Zion getting another comeback, this is where you worship. And I'm not just referring to Sunday. Maybe you think Sunday is a day for worship or uh, it's just an hour for worship. But no. This is where you give God His worth. 24-7. Worthship. Built on two words in the old language. Shipping God His worth. 
Sending it off to him. This is sacrifice. Whatever is precious to you. You think maybe money. Especially when you hardly make ends meet. Like the widow with the two pennies. What's precious to you? Your time. How about your me time? You go on. What's precious to you? Your family. How valuable your health is. How valuable your entertainment, your fun is. This is about investing what is precious. That's the picture of sowing your seed. And Psalm 126 is saying, loosen the grip that you have on all that's precious to you. Like that grain the farmer had to throw onto the field. Instead of eating it, instead of feeding his family, brothers and sisters, you have the people of Zion who've gone through bad times before. You've seen Zion's comebacks. Are you going to count on it? Because that's what the psalmist say. Pray for it. Expect it. Live it. Like the widow's jar of olive oil that never ran out. 2 Kings 4. Send it off with tears. Like, oh, this is going to be the last bit I have. But trust in God. And don't be surprised that He refills every olive jar with oil. We have in these closing words then. The Lord Jesus front and center. Did you see it? The Lord Jesus front and center. Psalm 126, verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Verse 6, He. We've switched. There's a pronoun, He, who continually goes forth. This is your Savior. If you've ever admired and worshipped the Lord Jesus, it's when you see Him do this, Himself weeping. Himself throwing out seed. The Lord Jesus weeping at the death of Lazarus. Weeping at the judgment. You saw the stones of Jerusalem. The beautiful buildings of Jerusalem. And he's weeping at the judgment that's coming their way. And he's weeping at Gethsemane as he went to his death on the cross. He lays down his life. The Lord Jesus says, I am the seed. I give all that I have, all that I am. And so he says this. Do you have a moment? You look up John 12 with me. John chapter 12. Verse 20. The Lord Jesus is describing himself as the seed. John 12 verse 20. But before we get there. There's something unusual happening in John 12, verse 20. There were certain Greeks. Remember, this is the country of Israel. How often do you find Greeks there? There were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee. Obviously, they spoke the same language. And he asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew, in turn, told Philip, told Jesus. Verse 23, but Jesus answered them saying, and I want you to catch the excitement. It's hard to put that in your Bible there. Jesus answered, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus Christ is excited here. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. These couple Greeks that just showed up, 
that are knocking on the door happens to be a flood of Gentiles that they represent. The huge kingdom fullness, fruitfulness, glory is coming in. And it's just first knocked on the door. And Jesus says, ah, the hour is here. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. This is the powerful message of Psalm 126. It ends with this joy and rejoicing. It ends with a harvest. There's this bumper crop. All those who are serving Jesus are part of this awesome harvest. Stacks of wheat. He's bringing to His Father. All of these, Lord, they're Your children. You gave them to me and I bring them to You, Jesus says. This is worship. Jesus Christ laying down His life like a seed. That was His death. And from His death comes this whole church. All the Gentiles, all the nations. And they come to praise God. So I want you to hear this at the end of the sermon here. Let's stop being all weepy and sad about laying down our lives. Let's not be stingy giving God just worship for like an hour. Let's ship God His worth. That's worship. And let's no longer be hopeless. You know how hopelessness just produces sinfulness? You know hopelessness, I'm just a disappointment to God anyway. I'm a failure. I've sinned this way, I may as well sin another way too can't do anything right as church we can't do anything right that's the language of hopelessness but you play psalm 126 you sing a little bit of psalm 126 and you're saying this is a time for zion's comeback if you love the lord jesus you follow him you overflow with the same excitement for the harvest and you know that yeah the church looks wimpy today but his kingdom is coming this is time for zion's comeback So brothers and sisters, maybe you can think of some crazy sports game years ago when some underdog like the Philadelphia Flyers managed to claw for a comeback. But remember Psalm 126. That you worship the God of all comebacks. And see this pattern. People are saying about us, the Lord has done great things for them. And you go home and you say, let's laugh a little. The Lord has done great things for us. Amen.